I am Erin Patton, metaphysical master in the millennial age, and it is my life's purpose to guide you and organizations along an enlightened path. So I invite you to sit comfortably and tune in as I welcome you to the Meta Business Millennial, where we get the real conversations you won't get in the boardroom so that we understand this is exactly the path we need to be on in order to grow, evolve, and thrive. Greetings, I am Erin Patton, also known as Master L, and welcome to the Meta Business Millennial Podcast. Today, I am joined by none other than my friend, I consider it might be my friend, and also brilliant podcast host for P.S. We Expire, a podcast about grief and loss, Miss um, Morgan. So welcome, Morgan, to our show. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me, Erin. Yes, I am so happy to have you here and also to have the opportunity to talk with you and share your story. We've had so many beautiful conversations Mm -hmm. over the course of months. We actually met through this organization called the human gathering and our first connect, my first connection was with you. And so we just talked about everything from our lives to our families and connected so deeply. We were like, okay, we got to keep this conversation going first (laughs) of all. And second of all, we both have podcasts. So let's just share in a way where other people can also tune in, tap in and get turned on to who we are and what we have to bring to humanity. So um, I guess without further ado, I'd love to kind of dive into, you know, the why of why you created this podcast, We Expire. Um, You know, obviously you've shared a little bit with me. However, I'd love for you to get into a little bit more about your your journey of of loss and 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 gains and mm. and how that inspired kind of where you are today. Yeah, so the podcast was kind of born of 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 this frustration that I had of being on social media and only being able to share some of the most powerful life changing lessons and tips and not tricks necessarily, but these insights that had really powerfully affected me and changed my life in really positive ways. I got tired of not being able to share those in longer form. So I was like, you know, Mm -hmm. doing these reels that are 90 seconds and these stories that are not very long. And I just thought, I, I really want people to be able to hear hear these tools in their full glory so that they can be applied in really powerful ways. So that's kind of where the podcast stemmed from was just wanting to have these longer, deeper conversations with people. And the, the title came about because so much of what my life is shaped by is an understanding of how short our lives are. (laughs) And many people go through life really not looking their own mortality full full in the face. It's Mm -hmm. really scary to think about the fact that at some point, everything that we have worked for will not be here anymore or nobody's going to remember our names. I mean, like that stirs up a lot of, uh, stirs up a lot of stuff, but I have found that turning my gaze towards my own mortality and understanding just the small part that I have to play in on this timeline has Mm -hmm. brought so much clarity and joy to my own life as I have stopped ignoring the fact that we're all going to be out of here (laughs) sooner than later, you know, and we we kind of view death as this, like, 
don't, don't talk about it, kind of push it to the side, just keep plugging away, keep moving, keep moving, keep moving forward. And then suddenly we, you know, get smacked in the face with something that's really difficult, really hard, or someone that we love gets sick and dies. And then we have suddenly death is before us and we wonder what am I doing with my life? So Mm -hmm. that's the, that is the, the kind of like the birth story of the podcast and why I talk about what I do. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And, and for you, you've had this personal experience with having, you know, lost your child and, and really having to navigate the emotional lived experience of the loss and, and having this kind of, I would say, you know, short existence here on this planet. Mm. And for, for those in, and I think when we met, I shared with you that when I was six years old, um, my sister was unexpectedly murdered by her girlfriend and mm. my mother was a grieving mother. I was raised by a grieving mother, essentially. And, and it kind of came back around as adults when I lost my father and she kind of mm. fell back into that grief again. And, and in many ways um, has tr- transformed into a whole different being because of those experiences. And, you know, for me, being able to kind of name that as grief wasn't something that I could easily do, but, or even had the awareness to do, um, because it was just a way of existing, just like always feeling like your heart was ripped open and always Mm -hmm. feeling like you're vulnerable and always feeling abandoned in a sense, and really want to dig into kind of your story of loss, because I think it's very inspiring and also, um, you know, obviously informs a lot of who you are today. Hmm. When, when my daughter Annie was three, so she's my oldest of three children. When mm-hmm. she was three, we, through a series of, I mean, I wouldn't say unfortunate events. I would say fortunate. I'm so grateful that we got her diagnosis as early as we did. Mm-hmm. Um, when she was three and a half, we were told that she had this incurable genetic disease that we weren't going to be able to do anything about other than symptom management and that she was going to die as a mid teen. That was the average life expectancy. The most that we could hope for really was like maybe early twenties. And that was with a a lot of other things that would have been in her favor, acting in her favor. So you know, we had 11 years of really working through what it means to have a child that's going to die. And she passed away in December of 2022. So even though her death was expected in a lot of ways, it still was fast and it was a surprise. A big part of this journey for me was understanding that there was going to be an after that there, mm-hmm. that there was going to be a time after she died. And so I started to ask a lot of questions about my identity as a mother, my mm-hmm. role as a mother, what was I going to have after she passes away? I thought a lot about that. And so I started to adopt behaviors and adopt a mindset and have a lot of really positive perspective shifts that happened before the fact, because I knew that was coming and I knew that as much as there wasn't going to be a lot that I could control and how it happened, I knew that I was going to have to take care of myself in a different way on the other side of her death. And so that really did make me dig into 
a lot of um, a lot of these big questions that we tend to shy away from and not ask ourselves because it, you know, again, it was just staring me in the face. I started to ask a lot of big questions about all of those things. And also, you know, having two other children that needed me, <laughs> that needed me to learn how to navigate my own grief so that I could show them that it was okay for them to navigate theirs. Yes. Really important. And I, mm-hmm. I had heard so many stories of families where a loved one dies, whether it's, you know, a parent or a sibling or even a grandparent and the families just don't talk about it. And these kids are left wondering like, what happened? How do I process everything that's happening to me? Because nobody's talking about it. And it's this, it can be a really jarring thing for children to have their reality shifted in such a, a big way and have them wondering like, is anybody else seeing this? Is it, why isn't anybody talking about this? And so I really committed to having these conversations with my children about how I was doing and how I was navigating things and how sad I was that Annie isn't here anymore Mm -hmm. talking about things. Like it's really difficult for me when I'm out and about, and I see this thing, oh, it makes me think of Annie and I wish she was with us. So it, it really has, I think, given my children the gift too, of being okay with talking about hard things, being okay with talking about the grief and being okay with talking about how sad they are, how mad they are, because I'm modeling that to them. And I think that that is, that makes me feel really good about like what I believe my job as a parent is, is not just to navigate my own stuff, but to teach my children also then how to navigate their own emotions when it comes to things big or small. Yes. And the key to that is just what you said is in the modeling. Because how many times have our parents told us how we should be or told us how what we should be doing, but they weren't able to even model it themselves. So there's no way we could even embody that. And mm-hmm. so for you, it's just really inspiring because I was of that group of folks where after my sister Erica passed away, we never mentioned her name again. Like I just recently mm-hmm. started to talk her name since I started this podcast, ironically, mm-hmm. in an effort to just say her name in the healing of that, you know, season, long season of my life where almost she just, her existence was erased. And in understanding too, that, you know, you have this beautiful ability to, to name those emotions, to name that sadness. I mean, it was only just a few months ago and, you know, my condolences are still with you and your family because, you know, for me, especially in losing my father, few years ago, it's taken me years to really accept all the things that have come with it. And, and I, and I feel like that's more of a testament to, you know, our, how we're taught how to deal. And so, for example, when I mentioned before him, I was angry when he passed away because I felt like he left me. And for me, that just showed a very um, immature aspect of my being, an aspect of my being that was still very childlike in its thinking and its processing, that this man could have a choice if he could live or not, really. And by him leaving, and you know, on you know, this was his calling to go at this at that point in time, that yet still it felt like an abandonment. Mm-hmm. And so I love this sort of. Um, this modeling that you're doing. And if you, if you don't mind sharing some of these emotions that you navigate and, and how you actually 
what are some of the tools you use to really deal with them, especially as it relates to the parenting aspect of, <laughs> of the grief? Yeah. Well, I think the, the worst thing that we can do is just ignore them perpetually. Yeah. Ignore how yeah. we're feeling. Yeah. Um, there, I think many people are probably aware of the, the five stages of grief that have been outlined by, um, Kubler-Ross, the anger, denial, the acceptance, the, I can't remember what the other ones are, but, um, Mm -hmm. the, the interesting thing that I learned about grief was that this is not a linear process. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm like, I can't be like, oh, sweet. I'm through step one onto step two. And when I get to step five, then I'm done and I've done the work and I've, I'm, I'm through it now. The, the way that she developed this this model and this understanding of grief was that it's very fluid. It's very flexible. And that you, Mm -hmm. you move through the stages, not in any particular order. And you frequently will come back to things that you have already worked through. And so it's, Mm -hmm. it's not so much a a prescription of how to move through grief. It's really just a way to name the internal landscape of how we're responding to our circumstances. And so Mm -hmm. I, I too have felt that anger well up. It's mine. Hasn't been so much on like being mad that Annie left, um, you know, and the, the parent to child relationship, you know, has a different kind of tenor to it than it does with a, a parent when an abandonment feeling, but I definitely still feel angry that she's not here. There are many days when I feel relieved, which, you know, before I would have felt very hesitant to talk about because, Mm -hmm. you you know, the thought is like, what kind of mother is relieved when their child dies, but it's a different, it's a different kind of feeling to it when, when it's a, a long terminal illness, when there's so much worry wrapped up in how is this going to go? How is, what is her death going to be like? When is this going to happen? And when she died, it was this, like this space in my mind that was constantly dedicated to that worry was Mm. suddenly suddenly evaporated Mm -hmm. and there was relief there. Mm -hmm. And I wish every day that she was still here. So the, the grief, I think the, the, and this doesn't just apply to grief. This applies to all the things that we feel as complex human beings exactly. is that there, we are really frequently in a state of paradox where we have to figure out how to hold space for the both. And so yes. I feel both that I wish that desperately she was with me and a relief that she's not anymore. And mm-hmm. I have to let myself feel the tension between both things it's really, we get ourselves into trouble when, when there is a part of me that says that I shouldn't feel relieved. And so I push that down, Yeah, push, push, push it down and I bury yeah. it and I stuff it and I don't talk about it and I don't acknowledge it to me. That's like, if, if with my child, they were telling me how they felt and I told them, you don't feel like that, or you shouldn't feel like that. We can yeah. hear, we can hear how damaging and dismissive that is as a parent. Yet we do that same thing to ourselves all the time. Yeah. We tell ourselves, you shouldn't feel that you shouldn't feel as hurt as you do about what that person said about you. You shouldn't feel as happy as you do about, you know, getting, getting something that you've been working for a long time. You know, we, mm-hmm. we just make ourselves shut ourselves down and stuff these things and refuse to look at them because there's a lot of shame with that. And yeah. as soon as we can just unshame ourselves 
from feeling whatever we're feeling. <sighs> There's so much relief in that. Yes. There's so much relief in that. Yes, 100% agree because a lot of what this emotional expression journey is about is about releasing that shame because, and I'm so grateful that you felt safe enough to express your, your true emotions around the loss and that there's a relief. And I totally understand that relief because, I mean, if you were spending all of your time, this energy in, a, in an anxious mind, in a worried mind, and then now that that worry is gone, then of course that would be the sensation that you would experience. And, and to feel shameful around that is absolutely understandable mm -hmm. as well, because of course, like, this is my child. I'm supposed to be doing everything I can to keep them alive. And it's mm -hmm. like, are you, are you not though? You know, didn't, didn't you do that? You know, didn't you do everything that you could? Because at, mm -hmm. at some point, and this is what I've been understanding along my mother journey is that there is a lot that I can't control around my child that I get blamed for because I've also shared with you, I've had a lot of challenges with my son's father, a lot of blame placed on me for a condition that he inherited that I had no control over. And I did my best to nurture him in that state, yet I got blamed for it. And so it's it in that that blame lived with me for a long time up until fairly recently when I was really able to accept and see that I did my very best in caring mm -hmm. for my child and how that reflects we're going to court over it we're going back to court over it is you know going to be up to the court to decide however at the end of the day I'm comfortable with myself and secure with myself because I know that what I did was definitely in you know the highest interest for my child mm -hmm. and so for me I really you know can, can really understand what you're going through and you know I'm doing my best to really kind of navigate this idea of shame, if you will, and understanding that I, I will not be able to do anything, you know, to, um, to really help nurture kind of, um, you know, I'm doing everything that I can to nurture that feeling, if you will. Yeah. So um, the shame is, is, is certainly an aspect that is in many ways a shared experience. Hmm. And it takes me back to um, what I always share with my clients and on my podcast is the um, the map of consciousness. And so the map of consciousness um, was created by De Dr. David Hawkins in the 70s. Are you familiar with it? No, please tell me. Oh, okay. Um, because I always, um, I actually um, have the ability to share my screen. So I'm just going to share my screen right now so everyone can kind of see um, what it looks like because it's much more easily explained um, by visually. Oh, it's so awesome. Okay, so this is a map of consciousness. So this actually was created by Dr. David Hawkins in the 70s. And it actually is a logarithmic scale of how we, um, logarithmic numerical scale of how our consciousness aligns to our, our view of God, our view of our lives, the emotions that we express and the process through which we, you know, engage with the life, with the world around us. And 85% of the world lives below this dotted line. And where I lived for much of my life, especially coming into knowing of this uh, scale was in the guilt and shame column. So even the incident that I experienced with my son, um, in many ways, I feel like my being attracted it because this was a vibration that I was very comfortable in, a vibration that, you know, really resonated with me thinking back to even my own experiences with loss and with motherhood and how likely my mom felt so ashamed of, you know, having 
and she had expressed this to me how she felt like she didn't do well with her first two kids and mm-hmm. she really was trying her so her hardest with me and there was a lot of just um you know unworthiness that she carried that I inherited in many in a sense and as I started to heal those aspects of myself and heal those aspects of myself with my son I noticed even for my own being you know my consciousness you know rising my emotions shifting and you know, this is exactly how it looks. So for example, someone who's like a genius, like an Albert Einstein would live, would live at the, at the love frequency, the 500, um, at this 500 level, someone like a Mahatma Gandhi would be like at the enlightenment level. So he's able to really kind of stave off like, you know, the British, you know, empire. So that's kind of like the map of consciousness that I think about in terms of like where we exist and our emotions. And so the shame really resonates with me in that way. Hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the interesting thing about, um, you know, I have, I, in various ways have seen the maps of consciousness outside of that. And, and I, I will share that I, I've gotten myself into trouble when I would be at these, at these like higher vibration states and then would feel the anger, the shame or the sadness. And the interesting thing was like, then I had shame about feeling shame because I yeah. thought, man, I'm not yeah. like high vibe right now, you know? Yeah. And, and what has been most helpful to me has the, has been the allowing of, like I talked about with like the five stages of grief, it's the allowing of, of trusting that, you know, there are always going to be things that come up that we are like, Whoa, I didn't, I didn't know that was there. I didn't know that I still had some work to do in this area. I didn't know that, that this circumstance was going to poke something in me that I hadn't looked at yet. I hadn't addressed yet. And it doesn't mean that we're doing anything wrong. It doesn't mean that we haven't put forth enough effort to be kind of up in those higher vibe states all the time. It doesn't mean anything about that. From my perspective, the, we can get ourselves into trouble when we try to bypass all of those, you know, all of those hard things that come up and just kind of like put ourselves in this faux higher vibration state where we're like, I'm fine. Like nothing can touch me when really Mm -hmm. what we feel internally is like, I can trust, I can see that there are things that I'm not addressing because I feel like I shouldn't. And, you know, some of mine stems back to the, the way that I was raised up in, you know, an evangelical Christian home Mm -hmm. was this promise of heaven promise of perfection Mm -hmm. that really made me stunt my lived experience now. So when I was dealing with everything that was happening with Annie and I was watching her mind and her body be affected by this disease And I would have people tell me in heaven, she's going to be perfect in heaven. She's going to be able to run and jump and laugh and talk with you. All of the things that I desperately wanted to do with her that I couldn't because of her disease. And I understand the, I really do understand the, the comfort that that brings. And also that made it, it it almost made me like try to skip over how hard it was that she couldn't do those things now. And it was like, 
I think many people were not comfortable in just sitting with the fact that, yeah, this disease was damaging her brain and damaging her body Mm -hmm. and taking all of her skills from her. Instead, Mm -hmm. it was like, well, just think about like how it's going to be, how much better it's going to be there in the future somewhere. And I think what that does is it not only it makes us feel very alone because then people yes. aren't willing to like sit in the really hard stuff with us now, yes. but it also almost like tries to invalidate how difficult it really is right now that she doesn't, that she's not able to do those things. And um, so, so I guess what I, what I want to offer to your listeners is that yeah, like we we might be looking ahead to even something like I've got, you know, a great vacation that's coming up or I'm looking ahead to this promotion that's hopefully coming or I'm if you know, if someone's a student and they're really in in slogging through like their thesis or whatever and they're thinking about like how much better it's going to be there. If we are constantly living in a state of it's better there out there somewhere in the future mm-hmm. ahead of us, Mm-hmm. We are missing out mm-hmm. on what it means to be human right now in this present moment. And we Period. cut ourselves off from feeling how hard it is right now. Yes. <laughs> and and what I've what I have come to experience and know so deeply in myself is that the more that I allow myself to feel to the edges of whatever it is that I'm feeling the hard things, the edges of the hard things that I'm feeling, it only increases my capacity to feel to the edges of the amazing moments. Yes. The amazing moments because yes. our society and our world and our brains want to keep us at like this kind of very like neutral baseline without yes. too much variability. Mm-hmm. And that's not living. That's not living. We can feel to the edges of our joy. We can feel to the edges of our excitement about things we can feel to the edges of our uh like the ecstatic awe in the moments and we can feel to the edges of how grievous something feels or how angry we feel about something and that's that is how we allow emotions to move through us mm-hmm. that's how mm-hmm. we navigate really hard things that's yeah. how we that's how we navigate things that we don't think that we could possibly ever deal with. You know, many people have said, I can't imagine losing a child. Well, neither could I, (laughs) you know, but I did, but I did. And I'm here to tell you that when you allow yourself to feel everything that you're feeling, you will be okay. You'll be okay when this stuff comes. You'll be okay. I love it. Okay. Thank you so much for sharing that. There were so many things in that sharing that resonated so deeply with me. The first being the present moment awareness. Like being present is essentially what we're we're being called to do. Yet there's so much of our trauma, there's so much of our anxiety, there's so much of our shame that's blocking, that's disallowing that present moment being that it's nearly impossible for us. And then we see it going as far back as to our children who are struggling now with ADD, ADHD, Mm -hmm. other learning disabilities. And it's really just a mind, a being that's so full of trauma. It's really hard to sit here and focus right now. I have a lot of shit on my consciousness, pretty much is what it means, especially for young kids. And the next piece that really, um, I really wanted to build on was about it just being hard. Like it's, it's hard for us to be here. 
present because of the traumas, because of the things that have been sometimes unconsciously programmed in our beings. Like I was saying, for me, my shame, I had Mm -hmm. so much shame from such a young age. That what didn't come from me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That definitely came from, you know, generations and generations before me that I just inherited and was living in it as a child. Mm -hmm. And, and what that blocks us from is the ability to experience what our, our Christian upbringing kind of lacked us in teaching was that the heaven was meant to be experienced right here on earth. I mean, Jesus even taught this and said these things. Yet for some reason, it, we we took on this this notion, I don't know how it started or when it started, that heaven was some, you know, unattainable experience or, or, or place or pathway in this particular life. It was something that needed to be achieved or something that we had to wait for. When in reality, there couldn't be anything further from the truth which is why we feel so disconnected, which is why we feel so unworthy, which is why we feel so unloved. If we only knew that even in the imperfections of death, the imperfections of illness, there is still perfection, there is still heaven in it. And this is something I'm beginning to understand with my mother's journey. And I had this breakthrough fairly recently, just a few days ago, or a week ago rather. And it was phenomenal for me. Because like I had mentioned to you before, like I'm, I was looking for a cure and in many ways still I'm a cure for dementia, a cure for this psychosis, a cure for this mental illness. When in reality, actually there is pure perfection in how my mom exists now today because of the, the type of treatments that we're doing for her, the healing work that we're doing. We connect a lot in meditation. We connect a lot with multidimensional beings. We connect a lot with higher dimensional beings and had her consciousness been the way it was when she was in her her you know previous form there would be no way she could receive that light mm-hmm. there would be no way she could receive that energy in her healing journey yet because of her now condition she is in a perfected state to receive god's pure divine sources pure divine white light in full uninterrupted and so I literally was in tears. I was sobbing. I told you before I was in tears before the weekend in LA. Mm-hmm. Yet this experience in meditation with her showed me that, wow, my mom is now my teacher, even in her dementia state, because now she's a pure vessel for God. She has no, no resistance in mm-hmm. receiving that which is meant to be bestowed on her in the terms of energy and light and healing. And so. I mean, I just want to place that on you and even with your journey with Annie that maybe it was in her state that she was in her most perfect form. Maybe the running, the jumping, the playing, the getting on your nerves, whatever, (laughs) you know, children do. (laughs) Maybe that wasn't her perfection. Maybe her perfection came in a different form. And so I just am so honored to be able to share in this space with you because there's so much healing around how we were taught our heaven and on earth existence should be and our heaven experience should be that there's so much that we're relearning and re-educating ourselves about and re and able to reteach and so that people can experience the present moment perfection of heaven here right here right now you know Mm. Hmm. i've often thought about Annie's body 
was, you know, being damaged by this disease. But her, her soul, her, her innermost being is untouchable by disease and decay and death. Yes. Because there's no, there's no separation really in that sense from this life and the next. Yes. And also, since time is inextricably married to matter outside of this physical reality time doesn't exist you know and so there Mm -hmm. is that part of ourselves that is timeless that is eternal that is always connected and it's it's like learning how to listen learning how to tap into that part of ourselves that is eternal that Mm -hmm. is is some of the work it's 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 sifting through breaking the illusion of separateness yes is what some of the work is and i i think that our souls wanted to experience the illusion of separateness Mm -hmm. that we wanted to experience what contrast feels like that we wanted to experience emotion because emotion only can happen in a physical body because it Mm -hmm. is vibrations in our body Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't want to do anything that, that gets in the way of that desire of my soul to feel everything that I feel, you know, it's like, why would I, why would I take away that profound right and experience that my soul wants to have? Mm. to feel everything that I'm feeling that part and I think one of the reasons why we have become very inept at feeling our feelings is is like we we walk around with these great little dopamine pills in our pockets called you know our phones (laughs) our our social media and all of that and it has it not only makes us feel disconnected from each other, but it makes us feel disconnected from ourselves because we, you know, we get addicted to dopamine. We get addicted to the the feel good stuff. And then it, we lose our ability to feel the bad stuff or to feel the absence of that. And that really is like making us become less human yeah. from my perspective. And it's, you know, like I have to go through times, I'm just as guilty as anybody else of like, scrolling mindlessly for hours on social media, you know, thinking about it. And (laughs) I have to, I have to take breaks from social media, like force myself to not get on it, you know, the whole day or something, which sometimes just feels like the worst thing to spend 24 hours, not on social media, but I have to like put those into my life, those breaks into my life, because then it like, it like makes me reopen and, and reawaken to my, my lived experience now in this moment, that isn't just like little drips of dopamine, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. like working, working harder for the dopamine in other ways and the connection Mm -hmm. in other ways. Mm. You know, I really want to tap into something that you just were talking about and then kind of transition into a more, um, kind of, I guess you could say, more business kind of conversation mm-hmm. since it's the Meta Business Millennial Podcast. But I want to tap into the part you were talking about in terms of why our souls came to this, this journey, mm-hmm. why, why we came on this, this ability or desire to be disconnected, to just reconnect, 
in many ways mm. or to be separate from that's the word you use to be separate and also have the feelings that we have to separate ourselves in order to feel what it's like to be disconnected in order to reconnect back mm. to you know mm-hmm. humanity it's kind of like that process and i i know you're working on your podcast now Yet I would like for us to talk a little bit more about how this relates to us doing business because I know you are had a prolific career, have a prolific career, and a very intelligent woman. And what or how, if at all, has this experience of your soul journey and and being separated to be reconnected informed your thinking about business or getting back into you know into your business? Because for me, I was. I was actually inspired to do meta business after uh, losing both my my father. I had a friend that was also murdered a few weeks after, actually, mm. ironically, in Jamaica, where I am right now. Mm. And this has been a whole healing trip because I hadn't come here since her passing. And then, you know, losing my mom in her traditional sense. And so mm. it really, I was separated enough where I realized that I had to connect back to myself in humanity in all that I did, especially in my work. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't, I couldn't show up anymore mindlessly doing tasks. Like there was no way, like I could just, I might as well just die too. Mm-hmm. Like that was my, my sense. And wanting to know, like if you've had the chance to even start to imagine what this career, next phase of your career journey can look like, um, you know, with Annie and her new form, and your family in its new form like how did how does that how does that feel for you or, or look for you a lot of unknowns <laughs> a lot of <laughs> unknowns you know the like we talked about in the beginning like death has a way of bringing a lot of clarity and I think when I say that what what I immediately think is like long-term clarity but that's not how this is that, that's not how this is fleshing out what what mm-hmm. is happening is that I have much more clarity about what I want my day-to-day look like to look like mm-hmm. I have a lot more clarity about you know really paying attention to what are the circumstances where I feel most alive what are the <laughs> what types of people am I talking to that when I come away from those conversations I feel excited about life that I feel yeah. excited about the next chapter that I feel that my the possibilities are opening before me because of the types of conversations I'm having because of the type of people that I'm you know shoulder to shoulder with mm-hmm. and that that brings a lot of clarity around the the things that I want to do and who and not just what I want to do, but who I want to be in the world. So Mm. I think, you know, in this, in this space where we talk about self-development, self-improvement, embodiment, where we talk about tapping into your higher purpose, I think a lot of people who really thrive in a nine to five think I, I need to quit and I need to go find, or like become an entrepreneur, or I need to, you know, like start this soulful business. And what I'm saying is you don't have to do that to, to feel really deeply in alignment with what you're doing. So entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship is not for everybody. Entrepreneurship, you have to be very risk tolerant. You have to have a lot of self-motivation. You have to be okay with many levels of you know, quote unquote failure (laughs) and be able to, (laughs) and to be able to alchemize your failure into learning 
Yes. And it takes, it takes a certain type of personality. And, um, I would even say like on a nervous system level, you have, you have to do a lot of attentive work towards, you know, working through like your limiting beliefs and you have to be really attentive to what's happening on the inside so that you don't just completely implode your business. So it takes, it takes a certain type of person, I think, to be an entrepreneur. So what I'm suggesting is that people really just start to tune in more to that internal state where, where you stop telling yourself things are fine when they're not, you stop telling yourself like, you know, I just need to muscle through the next 10 years and I'll be able to retire or the next 20 years and I'll be retired. Uh, like this, that's no way to live. Right. Just start, start being brutally honest with yourself yeah. about how you're feeling about what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And then, and then when we are honest with ourselves, that is when choice is introduced. Yes. Because when we feel like, well, this is just what I have to do. There's no choice in there, but you're also not being honest with yourself because there's always a choice. Mm-hmm. Even I'll tie it back in a little bit more to my circumstances with Annie. I didn't choose for her to have this disease, but I chose to stuck or stick around. And I, ch- because I could have put her up for adoption. I could have put her into the foster care system. I could have left and none of those choices aligned with who I want to be in the world, but even just me acknowledging that I had the choice, whether or not to be here was so empowering. It had, Mm -hmm. it brought so much clarification around how I wanted to show up to these difficult circumstances, how I wanted to show up in my motherhood. And it's the same way in our businesses. It's the same way in our employment where Mm -hmm. when we stop saying, I don't have a choice because you really do, you really do have a choice and you, you know, you, you don't have to pay your taxes. <laughs> that's a, that's a choice, but you might go to jail, you know, Period. And there's consequences. Yeah, exactly. There's consequences, but you always have a choice. You always have a Absolutely. choice. And the, the sooner that we will, we will look honestly at our lives and decide what things we want to keep doing and the things that we want to change, even though it's going to require a lot of effort. Ugh, there's so much freedom, even just in that. Yeah. Yes. I love all the things you said, because for me, one thing that I felt was my hindrance was my, my inability to see clearly. You know, I, I really felt like, um, and I talked and I had to do a lot of healing around this, that the confidence breeds clarity as well. So the more confident we are in ourselves, the more we're able to kind of see ourselves and see ourselves more clearly. I think that's such a beautiful statement that you made because, being able to see ourselves through the lens of ourselves takes work too. For me, I was such a people pleaser. I was such a, you know, uh, even though I was a leader, I was, I felt like I was more of a follower. I just did what people told me to do very well. And so what we're asking people to do in terms of getting clear with themselves is being able to lead themselves, even Mm -hmm. if that is in a corporate nine to five job. And that's something that I don't believe many people are even are told to do or taught to do is even if I'm taking direction from someone, I still want to be able to have my own agency, my own voice, my own set of beliefs and values that I ascribe to. Yet in many ways, we're, we're, we, we give all that away 
um, either as children or in exchange for a check or what we think to be comfort or safety in a scenario for a check. And, and so I really deeply resonate with that, you know, call to action for folks, no matter where they are, to get clear with themselves, to feel into themselves and learn what those feelings are. Because for me, it took me having to do a very intentional Tai Chi practice for two years before I could even feel my organs. Like I was so numb. I would do all this tapping and exercising and never even feel like my stomach or my liver or my intestines. Mm -hmm. And now as soon as I feel a cramp or as soon as I feel something in my body, I'm able to know, oh, I know what that is. I'm anxious Mm or, oof, I know what that is. I'm not comfortable around this person, you know? So now being able to feel into my body and, and listen to my emotions and get clear with how, with who I am in a given moment, it's completely changed and shifted my life. So that's such beautiful advice. And, you know, I could sit here and talk to you for hours, but we're kind of already coming up on time. (laughs) And I I wanted to just allow you the space to really just share um, a little bit more about your podcast, Mm -hmm. um, how people can tap in and, and why it's really meaningful for humanity today, because I really admire what you're doing on your social media. You showing your little your mom belly, like you're doing, you're, you're really putting yourself out there. You laughing, but this is like, this is real shit. Like I, like people are not comfortable, myself included with being real as fuck in a very public domain and you're doing it fearlessly. And I applaud you. So I just would love for you to share more with folks about how they can get more of that energy into their life. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, so I will say that like being confident and courageous isn't about showing everybody everything all the time. It's about, it's about being really clear about what you're, what you're trying to help other people with. So in the clarity of my values, in the clarity of what I want to encourage other people to do in their own lives in, in one of my values of giving people permission to be exactly who they are. That brings a lot of clarity to the things that I talk about. It brings Mm -hmm. a lot of clarity to the way that I show up on social media. It brings a lot of clarity to parts of myself that I'm willing to show, you know, I am, I believe it or not, I am a very private person. And so the things that I talk about are because I've thought about how I want to talk about them. And it's, it's not so much that it's so that I can always show the sign, the shiny side. It's really more so about like, just knowing who I am and knowing what I want my life to look like. And also thinking about like, okay, let's say, let's say that, you know, tomorrow, somehow I gained a million followers what, what things have I put in place already to prepare myself for something like that? And obviously like there are many things that would come with that, that I wouldn't be prepared for. And I'd have to navigate, but I'm already thinking about like, how, how am I talking about my children on social media? How am I talking about myself on social media in these mm-hmm. places that, you know, your, your, my existence lives forever on the internet. What kinds of mm-hmm. things am I saying? What, mm-hmm. what am I going to be able to back myself up? Um, and that brings a that brings a lot of clarity and and uh when it comes to like what i see for myself going forward geez i don't know like i just i just closed my business to go back to school to study psychology and neuroscience because i'm very very interested in how do we make 
positive lasting change in our lives? How do we, how do we change our minds? How do we change our habits? How do we change our relationships to bring more joy and satisfaction and fulfillment? So I'm talking about all of these things on my podcasts, on the PS We Expire podcast, and also studying them myself. And I'm not totally sure what that's going to look like going forward. I, I do have a hunch that I have a hunch that I will be working with people who that are dealing with child loss, that are dealing with children with um, med- that are medically complicated. And, you know, for rare diseases, cause it's a, it's a different kind of sense when you get to talk to someone who's, who knows what that's like to sit in the PICU with your kid. Yeah. So I, I suspected that that will be part of my work, but I don't really know. And it, this mm-hmm. is the, this is the beautiful thing about being really tapped into what's happening in, in the, in the inside is that it makes me feel very sure about the next step. Even if I can't see two miles ahead, I can, you know, as I'm placing my foot in the next spot, I can feel, does this, is this resonant with me? Does this feel in alignment with what I want to do? Does this feel good? Does this excite me? And if the answer is yes, then I'll take that step. And if not, then I'll step somewhere else. And there's a lot of like, there's a lot of freedom and ease in that when you just become more and more at home in yourself. Yes. When you have the courage to just keep moving forward, even if you don't know what it's going to look like in five or 10 years, feels good now. Yes. That is so beautiful because the part that resonates with me most deeply is getting you're so comfortable. You're, you have a flow in this state of uncomfortableness in this state Mm -hmm. of of the unknown, which we all exist in, and to be able to just use your own guidance system to take you from one step to the next step. Oh, is a solid ground? Mm-hmm. Yes. This one? Nope. Okay, back here. You know, and I love that that image of you just kind of walking, mm-hmm. you know, just step by step, you know, just listening to your inner compass and your, and your inner guidance. So um, mm-hmm. thank you so, so much for your time. And just really uh, briefly just sharing like your your Instagram handle, your podcast information. So folks can just follow you and stay in touch would be great. Yeah. So Morgan underscore Motzinger on Instagram and it's Motzinger like M-O-T and then singer like, hallelujah, Motzinger. <laughs> Motzinger. Uh, again, the podcast is PS We Expire. And then my website is morganmotzinger.com. Amazing. Amazing. So thank you all so much for joining us on this episode of the Metabusiness Millennial Podcast. I hope to see you on our next episode. In the meantime, I love you all so much. Peace. Did you really love this episode of the Meta Business Millennial Podcast? Well, I am honored and I appreciate you subscribing, leaving a review and sharing it with your friends. In the meantime, stay bright, my friends. Much love and light. Peace.